Hello folks, uh, folks, uh, good evening and welcome to episode 3 of the Maximum Effort Fitness Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jordan Fleming. I am a coach who trains folk who are interested in developing their strength and conditioning, their fitness and dropping body fat. I'm going to use this podcast to talk about a couple of different topics um, and to answer any questions that my clients put through to me as well. Today we'll be discussing the link between muscle size and strength, differences in animal proteins uh, versus plant proteins, how to strengthen and make our joints better, and talking a little bit about the mindset of allowing your body and mind to rest even though you feel like you should be doing more. To begin with, we are going to cover um, our first question is can I speak a bit about the link between muscle size and strength so I'm gathering that the person who asked this question is interested in knowing what the difference is different types of training uh, how they affect each other and well let's get stuck straight into it so to put it in very general terms Muscle size is an increase of the structure around the muscle fibres, whereas uh, mu strength is the increase of the fibres themselves. And we look at them from two different points of view. Strength is a mostly neurological process, i.e. it's the efficiency of movement and the ability to recruit those muscle fibres. So there's a it's called the size principle, where you recruit the smallest to the biggest muscle fibres, depending on the heavy weight, how heavy the weight is, or how difficult the task is, and your body recruits from smallest to largest. And it is a neurological process. You have to get better at it through training. So it's the reason why people can be very strong in, say, the 8 to 12 rep range. You know, they can squat. Uh, deadlift, leg press, bench press, row, very heavy weights. But if they were to attempt to do this in a one to three rep range max, comparatively, they wouldn't lift as much weight because it is a skill and you have to train it. There are certain processes the body goes through. When we talk about muscle size, we are talking about the increase in the structure around it. Um, glycogen's one, so that's called, it's called sarcoplasmic hypertrophy versus myrofibril hypertrophy, which is the difference between, again, structures and then the actual muscles themselves. You want to think of the muscles as like rods. And when you create hypertrophy of those rods, you're developing more of them. And when you are engaging in sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, you're creating bigger structures around that. I know I keep using the word structure, but it really is the easiest way to describe it. Training-wise, it's very difficult at the moment for us to differentiate if there is any good research to say that you can indeed focus more on myrofibril hypertrophy versus uh, sarcoplasmic, so strength training versus hypertrophy training, because hypertrophy is just getting stronger it's just in a different rep range. They're both measures of strength. They're both measures of a type of fitness. But I think most people, when it comes to this, consider it to be more about you 
lifting really heavy weights and that makes you strong and then when you lift slightly lighter weights with higher reps that makes you more muscular and it's not quite true there's crossover between them both and they both have their places in a training program our next question is the difference in plant versus animal protein and how your body utilizes them so just in case you don't know there are different types of sources of protein of course you have plant protein which is usually incomplete and what we mean by incomplete is that proteins are built up of amino acids and there are some that your body recreates naturally and there are some that it can't create in the body and needs to take in from outside sources i.e food there obviously are two main different types of sources of protein and that is animal based plant based animal based tends to be a more complete source i.e there are more of the essential amino acids in them and they tend to be of a higher quality source which means they will be absorbed better whereas plant proteins tend to be lower quality for the most part and they don't have all your essential amino acids which means that someone who is a meat eater could get by with having a very um non-very diet could have a very singular diet you know just chicken and some beef and they will probably get the majority of their amino acids from that and some dairy versus a vegan who has to choose lots of different sources to get different amino acids in and soy and quinoa are really high quality sources when we talk about it from a muscle building point of view as well one of the triggers for muscle protein synthesis which is the signal to build muscle is leucine and that is not necessarily found very readily in plant sources compared to uh, meat and dairy sources so it's something to consider and potentially supplement with i have said to some previous vegan clients that it might be worth uh, using an essential amino acid not a branch chain amino acid but an essential amino acid to help top up their stores. For the most part, the recommendations I like to give clients is to have two to three different types of meat, and I usually just differentiate it between white and red meat. Uh, white meat being, you know, turkey, chicken, and then red meats are your different cuts of beef, uh, which is mostly what I eat, bacon, these kind of things. And it's just a lot easier for meat eaters to get these in because they don't have to think about them as much. Whereas for vegans and vegetarians to an extent, you have to think a little bit more broadly and have to look at different sources and what kind of uh, amino acids they give you. And then make sure you have a varied diet across the week can help that. It's really important as well to know that you don't just eat protein for uh it being satiating or it being more uh, filling which is the same thing you eat it because it has a lot of different functions in your body it helps transport of red blood cells it helps with enzyme function um, especially the enzymes in your saliva if i am correct helps break down the food in your mouth uh, your acid balance your energy balance through the Krebs cycle, which we don't really need to go into because it's out with the purview of this podcast and out with the question. 
Uh, it also affects your kind of non-steroid ho- hormones, you're thinking adrenaline. It's really important that people get their protein in regardless of the dietary choices. It just happens to be a little bit more difficult when you are a plant-based athlete. The recommendations, for example, for health are usually, the government recommendations are very low. It's something like 0.8 grams per kilogram, which is quite insufficient. But because of a lot of governmental issues with food banks and if you raise the RDA, they have to adjust it, they won't raise it. But research shows that one to two grams per kilogram is the minimum for health all the way up to 1.6 grams per kilogram. And then from the 1.6 grams to around two grams per kilogram is what I would suggest for most people eating a meat-based diet. And then for vegans, I would probably jump that up quite a lot to about 1.9 grams per kilogram to 2.7 grams per kilogram. And that's, we've seen that from the research. That seems to be a good amount to hit and you've got higher amount when you're vegan because the sources you're intaking are usually lower quality and they lack as many essential amino acids in the food. Our next question is, how do you strengthen your wrists? So the wrist joint structure and any joint structure adapts slower than muscles. It doesn't recover as well because blood doesn't get to it as easily. So when you find that you're maybe getting sore wrists, knees, ankles, elbows, any joint from training and your technique is really sound, it could just be that the load, the reps, the number of sets that you are presenting to the joint are just too much for it to recover from. Running, for example, some people just are not built to run. They can still do it, but their joints maybe don't like it as much. So they maybe want to run five days a week, but in fact, two days is much better for them and a less intensive, less impactful source of cardiovascular exercise would be a good choice for them. One thing I would say with a lot of the home body weight training going on and people switching from barbells and dumbbells and machines to using body weight for training is that instead of the wrist being in a more neutral position where the elbow uh, wrist are on top of each other, they're more in a flex position for press-ups, handstands, pipe press-ups, these things. So it might be worth finding implements like chairs, handles, um, anything that can get your wrist into this straightened position where possible because that will help take some of the pressure off of it and eventually your joint structure will adapt to it but you can't rush the process. You have to just continue doing your work in as safe a way as possible and resting when you need to. Unfortunately, that's not the answer I think you wanted, but it is the best answer for now. Definitely focusing on mobility exercises, warming up the wrists too will be really important, but beyond that, it's just allowing them to take on the stress, let them rest, and they will get stronger over time. Our final question from today is about allowing oneself to rest even though they constantly want to move. And I think this could be taken in a few different ways. I personally think they mean mentally, but we'll talk about physical and mental movement. And it's something I struggle with a lot. I constantly feel the need to be doing more for my job, for my home, for 
anything in my life really. I think I am a chronic overachiever in some regards and it was leading me to burnout because I was constantly undermining the good work that I was doing. I was working really hard but I wouldn't allow myself to have a break and it eventually led to me burning out, me having to take time off work and then going back to it and it's something that I try to manage a lot and the thing I've found is best for that is a need to do and a could do list. During the week I have my to-do list and I have certain times where I'm going to do it and on my to-do list I have my priorities, my things that must get done in a day, you know, uh, client check-ins, social media, training of that day, walking my dog, these are need to do's, these need to happen on that day. I also have could do's, so that might be extra reading on a certain topic related to my field or to a client or perhaps housework that could be pushed further into the week but could be done today. And then I'll look at my work hours, how long have I worked, you know, with one-to-one clients, how long have I worked on my business and then I decide based on how much time is left in the day uh, and I know I need at least three hours downtime during the day how much energy do I have to this extra list, this uh, could do list? And then once I've decided that, I make the decision whether or not I move it on. If it's if I've got time, I'll do it. If I don't, I put it to my next day. And then that list usually gets cleaned up throughout the week when I finish off some tasks a little bit earlier. But for the most part, it keeps me on track. You need to look at yourself like a battery. You can only perform so many functions in a given time before you need to recharge. And beyond that, when you're running on low, you're not performing as well and you simply will burn out until you're forced to recharge. So it's more about having that awareness of how much you're doing, how much can be done. And that takes time and it takes a lot of practice. And I think for me, it's really important that you trial and error this, you have feedback from friends and family and you consult your own energy levels, you know, how tired am I after all these tasks, how much does it take out of me mentally, how much sleep did I get yesterday, if you didn't get as much sleep you're not going to perform as well probably and that can build up over time and eventually through this trial and error you will find a balance and you will be able to allow yourself to take some time off And on that final note, I would say when you're taking time off, don't become mindless. Stay present. When you're doing something, even if it's relaxing, don't just sit on your phone and scroll for 45 minutes. Oh, my break's done. Do something. It doesn't have to be a walk. It can be watching a TV show, but focus on that. If you are watching a TV show, don't have your phone on. Uh, Minimise conversations. Don't multitask, really just focus your attention on these things that you want to do and then suddenly you'll understand where you're maybe not being as present, you're being more passive, which is taking up your energy without you realising it. Folks, as always, thank you so much for watching the podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you want to ask me any questions, I have put the link below to it questions on the podcast if you'd like to know anything more about what we spoke about today please feel free to message me or get in touch via social media media which is down below